We are getting ready to uh, just bring to a close this message series that we've been doing on uh, minions, messes, and miracles. And if you've been able to join us for the duration of the uh, four messages that are uh, really kind of one long message, if you look at it in one sense, um, we're coming, I think, to what is the fun part, but also the challenging part. And if you've... um, uh, been uh, with the, w- if you've had God in your life for um, a number of years, you begin to see that the way He works is different than than anything you've ever experienced before. Uh, oftentimes, it's unimaginable. And I wanted to kind of help you get perspective on what that means by just uh, uh, helping you to um, uh, to see it through a couple of different lenses. And I'll just start off with a question: How many of you? Have and be honest. How many of you have ever been to a hockey game? Oh, quite a few of you. Well, you know the old adage when it comes to hockey games: you went to a fight and hockey game broke out. Right? You just know that's the way it is. Uh, it's an expectation, right? We're going to a hockey game, but we're Christians. We're not really looking for fights. But if one happens to happen. Well, we'll be observers there, and, and maybe we'll pray for it to end quickly or something like that. But there's something inside of us that says we're very excited about seeing a, a puck flying around at lightning speed and people throwing their gloves off and, uh, and going and punching each other in the, in the pads. So it's all, it's all good. It's all good fun. Everybody has a great time. Nobody gets that hurt. And if you've ever been to a hockey game, you know that that's the expectation, right? That you're going to go. There may be fighting, you're going for hockey, but you also realize that um, fights could, could very well be part of the equation. And if you have that expectation, it's great. And if a fight doesn't happen, some of you may be saying, man, that was the most boring hockey game I ever went to. And just to underscore the point, and maybe this is God's justice for me having maybe a little bit of bloodlust. I don't know what, what the issue is that he's dealing with me on. But I just so happened to sit in front of the guy who had nothing on his mind but fighting. And the more he drank his Miller Lights, the more fighting seemed to be the operative word. Initially, he'd just say it a few times uh, during, uh, dur- during different parts of it. But by the time the third period rolled around, all he said was fight and teeth and molars and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, please. Give it a rest. This seems to be your only fixation. If you don't believe me, just ask Tom and some of the other people that were there. It was painful. I mean, it's one thing to have an expectation. It's another to have your expectations thwarted. And all you can think about is what a disservice this venue is doing because they didn't offer a fight. That's essentially what I experienced. Glad to be in church today where the expectation, I think, is a little bit different. Uh, If you came here expecting a fight... Um, maybe, you'll, maybe you'll have one, maybe you won't. But I think that if you came here expecting to see the Lord, I'm almost certain that if you really desire to have him show up, he'll show up. It may be through the voice of a person around you. It may be through what you hear, uh, through the music, or through hopefully the message or the communion. Some way, if you say, God, just speak to me in a subtle way, he will. I believe that, and I think that expectation is merited. But the fighting part of it, I I know a lot of us are thinking, I'm glad to be in church where there is hopefully no fighting occurring, and I can just relax a little bit. 
Well, the dirty little secret about churches is that fights happen all the time. But the other side of that is you don't really understand what kind of fighting that I'm talking about, maybe. If you can think of conflict, you know two people get into an argument and it creates some kind of altercation, which could evolve into something that may result in a parting of the ways. Those are the kind of fights that I think God tries to avoid provoking in this environment. But there's another kind of fight that I think we have to pay careful attention to and we should expect it and then we should know how to respond to it when it happens. How many of you remember in the 90s having magic eye books? Did you, did you have a magic eye book? You know, you, you open it up and you see a picture and it's got sort of some funny different uh, graphical elements to it and you're saying, I, I don't see the dinosaur or I don't see um, uh, the duck. But when you tune your eyes just right, that thing just pops out. And then every time you open that page, you see something that you couldn't see for a while, but now it's there constantly. And that perspective that you have is a little bit of an optical illusion. And maybe when you come into church, there is a little bit of an optical illusion that takes place. I know many of us, myself included, you want to you wanna present yourself as being... Um, you know, happy to be here, uh, excited about talking to other people. Uh, you try to be positive, you try to be upbeat. Uh, but, but maybe if you're like me as well, you know that there's a layer of your life where things aren't quite what they need to be. And it could be a layer that is just the struggle of the day, or it could be something even deeper. It could be an ongoing tension that you have uh, with um, uh, concerns relative to your work, where the boss that you have to face tomorrow morning is the one person that you just dread on Sunday night, or even the coworker who is, in your mind, a person who must be sent from the legions of hell. And all you can imagine is that their entire mission here on earth is to make your life miserable. And I'm sure you framed it that way, knowing that that tension is real. But maybe it gets a little bit more personal. You've had kids for a while, and you hope that they do well, and they're starting out on their own, or they've been on their own for a while, and yet as a parent, you realize you can never, ever stop worrying about your kids. And maybe you've been praying that things will change, and they'll get a fresh perspective, and you feel that fight or that struggle every day. The struggles may be more personal if you come into this place and you're like me. You try to, you try to just put on your best face, but uh, sometimes it's hard because uh, you find that um, your finances are completely out of whack and you can't seem to pull it together in a meaningful way and you're not sure what to do. Or maybe just behaviorally, you've got a, a, an area of addiction or a habit that won't quite get to the place where it needs to be, where you can have peace. And psychologists say that there is, um, there's, a, there's a nerve that goes directly to your heart from your brain. And it sends a signal. And um, it's, it's a way of, of basically giving you a sense that all is well with your heart, both literally and figuratively. And that's why I think a lot of times the heart is used as the, the, the locus of everything that defines what's important to us. 
And what they'll tell us is, as that's happening in your heart, another message is happening from your brain, which is just how you're thinking about things in the course of the day. And maybe your brain is saying, I need to do this, or I want to do this, or I'm strongly, willfully knowing that that's what I want to do. But in your heart, you know that that layer of your life, where if your heart is really tuned into the Lord, your heart's over here. And it is the disconnect between those two moving in their own direction that creates what psychologists call a a dissonance. It's an anxiety that you have. It's actually an internal conflict. It could even be a fight over making the right decision where the two come into alignment. And they weren't the first to come up with that because if God made you and I, it is by design something that was intended to be harmonious. And when we come into a church like this, and that conflict is brewing, sometimes it spills out into the conversation that we're having with the person. And they may have done something that just normally would just slightly throw us off a little bit. But because we're pretty amped about this, our response to that is, it's how in the world, what possessed you to do that, to offend me so much? And sometimes those fights emerge in a church setting because of what's already happening here. But there's another fight that's going on that's just constant and chronic for believer and unbeliever alike. For people that are faithful and people that are sort of kind of wavering a little bit. And uh, it's the fight that takes place in this room. But it's also the fight that none of us oftentimes expect. And yet, while God allows this to occur in in your life and mine, he's saying, I'm going to use this as an opportunity for you to hear my voice. And so I'd like for us to just ponder for a second, if if I can move my slide. Perfect, we're aligned. Isn't that great? A technological device doing what it's supposed to do. Um, There is no fight here. So I do know, however, there is a fight here. The devil, the scripture tells us, is part of an unseen host of beings that the Bible describes as demonic or uh, agents of evil that have you and I in their crosshairs. And These unseen forces that are all around us that we can't really get a handle on um, are basically summarized by what the early church described as the devil or the devil and his own minions who prowls around like a roaring lion. He's looking to devour somebody and he especially likes Christians because we have been delivered from his clutches and he would like nothing more than to pull us back in. And it became such a theme that was pondered by the early church that they said, we know that there is a struggle, there is a fight going on. It is the very fight for our souls and the souls of people that we love. And so what is our response? And James wrote to the early church, here's what you do when that happens. Since you now see it with the, <laughs> the magic eye, actually with the lens of scripture, you know that the thing to do here is to submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And yet, 
Many of us don't even know that there is a devil to be resisted or even think about him in that regard. And if we do, as we come to church, we know that God may give us the best information and the best equipping and the, fe- the best and the greatest capability to overcome. If, you, if we look at the church that you and I are in right now, maybe we came here hoping we could just help our kids to discover a little bit more about who God is. Maybe we hope to find something that would help us in our struggle in the course of the day to just get through the day and find encouragement. And if you came here for that reason, you came to the right place. Because by design, God sees this struggle that we don't always see. And he says, I want to help you wrap your mind around that. And the expectation should be when you come here that you are able to begin to move in a way that those things aren't so disruptive for your life. So when we look at the local church, God, through whatever struggle that you've been facing in your story, has probably pulled you in here. To show you the way. And it takes time sometimes to understand what that way is and how you live it out. And I think there are three ways that God enables us to respond to this fight. Now that we understand that we should expect it. And the first one is, we've been given a beautiful book. That when we start to open it up, it looks like any other book. But when we begin to read through the pages of this book, all of a sudden we find that it's not ordinary, that it is a book that God actually, as the words are being read, God is speaking to our heart, that very place where he longs to dwell. And he's enabling our heart to just resonate with his heart. Have you ever heard of the word conspiracy? Since we're using minions, we'll use another word, conspiracy. And conspiracy comes from an old word, which means basically to breathe together in the same pattern of intake and exhale. And conspirators essentially are described as as people that are aligned in their purpose and in their reason for uh, for their life here on earth. And maybe it's something that they are attacking together. And when they conspire together, the movement of their breath is, is, is in sync. It's in and out, in and out. Um, the air is breathed in and breathed out. And it's just like they're, they're united even on that level. And God is actually wanting to conspire with you and I. Where as he sort of figuratively breathes in and breathes out, we are kind of keeping the same tempo and the same pace. We're in, our, in the center of our being. We're taking him in and, and breathing him out. And if you could just capture that imagery for a second, you'll understand how it is that we begin to move out of the fight and into the miraculous. The Bible gives us indication that when we are one with Christ and, and he with us, things begin to happen and lives begin to change. And it's not really of our own doing, but it's our connection with him, that trusting belief in faith that no matter what powers are at work in the world, they're not greater than the power at work in us and through us. Now why is it that you and I have hearts and minds 
that are out of sync and there is warfare and we need to come to church and we need to learn and we need to be equipped. Because I think there are two main drives that drive you and I. And it is so critical to know this that um, it, once you see it, it shows up everywhere. And one is just fear. It is fear of the unknown, fear of something threatening to take away what you already have, fear of, I'm going to use this hand, fear of looking at the circumstances that you're in and thinking all this is going to do is make my life worse. Or fear of something that you're told to do and you know that if you do it's going to create pain. And if you're like me, those fears crop up not just every once in a while, but at every turn when I have to make a decision. There's always some kind of fear that says if you go this way, it may not go well. And if there was no God or God said, I don't want to be a part of your world, then everything that I do would be driven by fear. It would be the desire to be worthwhile in the eyes of other people. And so I'm constantly comparing myself, making sure that I'm better than other people if that's the only way I function, or making sure through that fear that I have enough money to make it through life and make it for my family. And just at every turn where we have need, fear says, I'll show you what to do. And that fear goes all the way back, if you look at the Bible, that educates us to the very beginning story where it says at first, heart and mind of Adam and Eve were aligned with God. And they were, he'd breathe in and breathe out and they'd breathe in and breathe out and it would be just, it would be a conspiracy of love. But when they decided that they would breathe in and breathe out at their own pace, meaning that they were going to do their own thing and allow their own will to determine what was the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do, they said, God, forget you. We're going to do what we want to do. And when they did, and they broke favor and trust and faith and belief in God, that's when Scripture tells us immediately Fear set in. Scripture tells us that they, they, they saw themselves and they were naked and they covered themselves. And then they hid from God. And we've been doing it pretty much ever since. How are you doing today? Fine. Really? Well, you don't want to know. You know, we just want to make sure that whatever's there that's not working right, nobody knows about. Which I understand because once you tell something to somebody about yourself that is a vulnerability or a weakness... Chances are when they're experiencing their own vulnerability or weakness and you're part of the conflict, they'll use that information against you and you've had that happen to you. Fear. What's the other thing that I think is at work in the world that is the most powerful weapon of all the weapons that are out there? Believe it or not, it's love. Love also drives people. But it's the type of love that is unimaginable. It is supernatural love. And so when you come to church and you learn about God's love through the Bible, the Bible also says, now it's time to do. And what we try to do is help equip you to live a life in whatever situation that you're called in to bring God to bear 
in those circumstances. Whether it's your job or you're with your coworker or your boss or whether it's your finances or your spouse or that kid you're praying for. Equipping is just another way of saying take the love of God into that situation and trust that the love of God is going to work in that situation and that God, no matter what, is going to work it together for good. I think that if your life is driven by that love, which we'll we'll go into in just a second, it just changes everything. It's unimaginable the effect that God's love has on us. And that love leads to people that thrive. People that wake up every day and they have peace. They find blessing. They find, if you want to use the word happiness... They find joy. They experience, no matter what the negative things that come up that they have to deal with, when they bring God's love to bear on it, it just changes their outlook. And they start to realize something. That each day we wake up, we used to say in a spirit of fear, God's given, God's given me this day, sure, but now I've got to face this, and I've got to go through that. And I have, to, um, I have to endure. And so every day is looked upon as something to endure or something to survive in. Maybe win in occasionally, but that's it. But you know, God said, I've been fighting for your soul from the very beginning because lies have just overtaken it. And they've created such fear in you that you're not living the way you're supposed to live. And I want you to know something. That my perfect love is more than able to cast out any fear that you have. But you got to trust me on that one. And so we wake up every day and we start to trust him on that. And we discover that the day isn't something to endure, something to survive, something to go through, something to hope against hope that it'll get better. But today is actually a day that God made for you. And the only way that it works is to bring him back in to your world and allow his love to overcome your fear. Whenever you have... Have you ever heard of the saying... They saw blood in the water. You know what that means? It means that somebody's hurting, they're vulnerable. And it's just like you're in in the ocean and you're swimming and you cut yourself and the the shark from 10 miles away smells that blood in the water and comes rushing to you in your state of vulnerability and just begins to go to work on you. And the reality is when the devil smells fear, he piles on. And it's an ugly, ugly reality that God wants to set the record straight on in your life and mine. And there is a fight to the death over this. But Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He settled on us as the focus of his love. To be made whole, body, heart, mind, aligned, co-conspiring with God, Breathing in, breathing out with him. Made holy by his love. And long, long ago, he decided to adopt you and I 
into his family through Jesus Christ. Yet how many people come into this building and say, I don't even know if I should be here because God doesn't want me here. And yet, God said a long time ago, I do want you here. I've been fighting for your soul for a long time. And the biggest part of the fight is just helping you to know that you don't have to live in fear the rest of your life because I I truly have your back. Paul wrote this beautiful book in Ephesians and he wrote elsewhere saying that I want you to know these truths because the very Bible that you read is inspired by God and is useful for teaching and for showing people what is wrong in their lives and for correcting faults and for teaching how to live right. Did you catch that? It's just a way of saying there's confusion in our minds without the help of God's word. But when it begins to speak to us, it changes us. And so you come here to church and you know that God and you expect God to do something. God has already been doing it. He's been fighting for each of your souls for a very long time. And the church is the one place where he really flexes his muscles. Now, it's probably not a good metaphor because I don't know about you. Uh, I, I, I look at at, at that, and I think of God, you know, doing that. I think of someone that we've been praying about. Uh, one of the uh, former uh, elders in our church, um, Bill Hinchcliffe, is uh, 90-something. He's kind of languishing right now and may be going home to the Lord any, any, any day. When I first moved here 11 years ago, and I backed my trailer into the house that we were moving in, Bill was one of the first people that I saw. And he's pushing 80, and I'm like, He's a pretty hardy looking guy, and I didn't know that at the time. And we had a piano to move, and he said, let me help you move that. I'm like, are you sure? He said, yeah, I move pianos all the time. And I'm like, wow. And then he told me stories about moving pianos up basement stairs and, and down basement stairs and on and on. I'm like, that is one strong guy. And maybe the strongest guy in the church. He's got superhuman DNA probably from Marvel Comics somewhere. And as I'm just looking at that, I'm thinking, that's my vision of strength. But you know what the Bible describes as the greatest strength? It is also an emblem of God's greatest love. And that is God's Son stretched out on a bloodstained cross. All of the powers all the principalities, all the dark forces at work in the universe have just done a cosmic pile-on on him to the point where the very Son of God expires under the weight of that attack. And if we just soak that in for a minute, it's God's way of saying, if you want to know how I flex my muscle, it is through my perfect love that is seen on a bloodstained cross. And there is no force in the universe that can counter it. Simply because the one who was there is now King of Kings and Lord of Lords reigning in heaven. Because the cross was just a pathway to a tomb that was opened and his life walked out of. 
giving us a sense that even our greatest threat, our biggest battle, our worst fight that we will ever have, death itself, is no longer a fear to be reckoned with. But even that fear, perfect love, has overcome. So as I end this message this morning, I want you to know that unimaginable things happen in church because God's perfect love is always at work. Taking your fear, your pain, your trial, the adversary's assaults, which are many, and finding a way to disarm those powers that keep us captive. Wouldn't it be nice to wake up one day and say, I just don't have any fear. Now, granted, if you're thinking about repairing the roof on your two-story house and you're afraid of heights, you should be fearful. But if you are looking at things that God says, I've got a better option, you should be trusting. How ugly can it get for you and I? Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, I've got to tell you this, and it's, my, it's, it's, it's the thing that you've got to understand. In Ephesians 6, he said, For we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, I don't know about you. When I read that, I'm, I'm just, my head is just spinning because I'm thinking all over the place there are unseen demonic and evil entities that are just out to get me and the people that are in God's church. But I don't really sweat about that too much. Because in that same unseen realm are angels that are co-conspirers with God. Are the vision of a heavenly father. And seated next to him on the throne where king of kings and lord of lords is the statement above his head. Is our Lord Jesus who says there is no power, there is no force that is greater than the force that I have. And the force that I have is nothing less than the power of the love that I have for you. And you would think Paul would just sort of end the thought there. But if I just fast forwarded to the end of the book, the end of the chapter, Paul says this. He says, Now I've said what I need to say about the fight that you're going to have in the life that you're called to live especially in the context of that place that you're called to go, the church. And in that place, because of God's great love for you and I, there's peace. And Paul says, peace to the brothers and sisters. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the type of love I'm talking about isn't love that comes from you. It is love that flows through you from him. And connected to him in faith. His grace just flows out. And it is the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is an undying love. A love that went to the cross but did not die. Went to the empty tomb but did not die. And is seated now. Unable to die. Unendingly most lovingly for you and I. And I wonder, 
I wonder, when you came into this room, did you realize that conflict was there? And did you know that the fear that you had is just a way for the evil one to get leverage? And that the only way for that leverage to not take hold is for you to replace that love with God's perfect, or that fear with God's perfect love. But you may not have that love in your life because there's only one way to get it. And it is through our connection with the one who has it. Maybe fears are rattling your cage pretty good right now. Maybe the uncertainties are a little heavy. And maybe you're wondering, is there any way to move beyond where I'm at? And I would say that if Jesus is part of the equation, there most definitely is. But if he's not, then you're on your own. God wants to help you, but he's a gentleman, and he will only help you if you invite him in and allow him to begin to move. We sang a song called White Flag, which is all about that. It's finally saying, I can't do it without you, God. And God's like, I've been waiting your whole life for you to say that. And now that you acknowledge it, life begins. Do you know that life? Because that really is the greatest unimaginable miracle of all. The life we have in him is the life that goes on forever.